Welcome back to Yes X or No Audio. Today is 2023, Saturday, April the 15th. This is a podcast as a companion to the most recently published article, US Intelligence Leaks, The Criminal Complaint. United States of America versus Jack Douglas Teixeira, who henceforth shall be referred to as The Accused. In the style of the podcasts, which are companions to the US Intelligence Leaks series, I will summarize the article and then continue with some wider considerations uh, which come from it. The article is merely an analysis of the criminal complaint which was submitted to the Honorable District Magistrate David H. Hennessy of the Federal Court of the District of Massachusetts in Boston by FBI Special Agent Patrick M. Lukenhoff. The agent swore for the judge via telephone at 9.49 a.m. local time on the 14th of April 2023. The complaint lists the charges, there are two, against the accused, and they're both from the now somewhat infamous 1917 Espionage Act. Within the complaint is is contained an affidavit uh, from the FBI and specifically uh, this agent which lay out the reasons that the FBI wish the judge to issue an arrest warrant. So that is the purpose of the complaint to achieve an arrest warrant and the judge signed the complaint and it was stamped and I presume, I'm not a lawyer, I presume that that means that the arrest warrant was issued and if one looks at the evidence provided in the affidavit it makes sense that it should have been. Which is a bit sad but that's justice, this is how it works, right? So everything that the FBI say is an accusation, Uh, there's no truth in any of it as far as we're concerned at this point in time. Right? That's the legal process and how it works. But there is, it's a well-formed uh, complaint and the affidavit provides you know, compelling reason for the, for the uh, honourable magistrate to, uh, to issue the arrest warrant. So let's have a quick look at what that evidence is. The FBI have two non-governmental sources for their information. The first is an informant who claims to have been a member of the community on the private Discord server, which the accused is alleged to have established. So that's the first source. And the second source of information is Discord itself, the company, which obviously the accused would need to have contacted to establish the private server. The informant provides the FBI with a visual description of the accused, uh, including identifying him in a photo lineup based upon the accused driver's license photograph. And this implies that uh, they had some video chat via Discord if they have not met physically. The informant also tells us that the administrator who uses the username OG, which we found out from the Washington Post article, he informs the FBI that the first name of this individual is Jack. From the 
Discord company, the FBI obtained business records which show the address uh, of the person who hired the server and the name, and the name is that of the accused. The FBI then go to the United States Air National Guard and from them they obtain the registration details of the accused as held by the USANG and they also get his residential address and his most recent rank and title. The address that the FBI obtained from Discord matches that which they received from the USANG. So, same place, same name. So that sort of ties that together. And then you've got the the photo lineup uh, identification by the informant to the driver's license and all of a sudden you've got this, you know. Right, so it's a complete identity cross-check. Right, so the the person is fingered. Doesn't mean they specifically did anything, but it's a it's a pretty. I mean, there's the basis for the arrest warrant. Essentially, that is combined with uh, statements by the informant, in which he claims that the accused uploaded a document, probably an image, the things we've seen in the media, of a classified document, which the FBI then consults. The they don't say what the document is. But they claim that they've contacted the essentially issuing authority uh, for that document and that it was classified as top secret, sensitive, compartmented information. So very, very high classification. From the USANG, they also find out that the the rank is E3, you know, Airman First Class, whatever it is, and then that his title is that he's involved in cyber defense. And the FBI claim that to do that you need to have a top top secret security clearance and then they also claim that this was extended to include sensitive compartmented information such that the accused has sufficient clearance to have theoretically been able to access this document so that's the basic evidence there's a bit more to it read the article if you're interested in the rest of it there is an important point in the introductory section of the complaint in which the uh, FBI agent states that they are not presenting all of the information they have merely sufficient such that the judge can issue the arrest warrant. So we are only getting a small picture of what the FBI knows about the accused and so we can't draw an awful lot of conclusion from this but, (coughs) but some inferences can be drawn. In the commentary section of the article, I state that, okay, let's just assume that the narrative as published by the Washington Post and the claims made by the FBI in the complaint are correct, and what does that mean? And I then go on a bit of a rant about the fact that what the hell is a 21-year-old Air National Guardsman? Why the hell has he got this level of classification? And more importantly, How the hell does he get his fingers on an intelligence product that's intended only for the highest level of the military? This implies that the US military don't have a concept of distribution for, you know, sensitive data. It just, you know, if if it's that's it, anyone who's got that level of clearance can see everything at that level, which strikes me as batshit crazy. So I, the rant that I go into is largely about the incompetence of the US military and how they run things. The other point to mention is that the informant claims that the accused, 
begins by transcribing documents and then providing text of the documents to the small community. Uh, and then he gets frustrated with that and in the end is, sent, is, is supplying them with imagery, which we are led to believe is taken at his abode. So that means that when, we, when it moves to that phase, if these accusations are true, the accused is taking top secret, sensitive, compartmented information in printed form out of the secure facility, the SCIF, as Larry Johnson would refer to it. First of all, that's, that's a major security fuck up in the first place. And then he's taking it off the base, which is a mother butter secure, physical security failure. So I'm, I was quite angry when I was writing the article at the fact that this was able to happen. As far as I'm concerned, this man will fall afoul of the law if the accusations are valid and his career will be smashed to smithereens, which is a great pity because he's obviously intelligent, he's got some reasonable computing skills, he doesn't understand anything about operational security, or OPSEC as it's called, which is not surprising, he's only 21, and he's going to get smashed to pieces. When the real people to blame here are the idiots who don't know how to run a proper security system. As I opine in the article, imagine this was this person had actually been turned and was working for an adversary and then had received training about, you know, the tradecraft of how to not do dumb shit. Then this could have gone on for God knows how long with that level of information being supplied to an adversary. The failure there is not the individual. The failure there is the system itself, which is why I'm so angry about this, that this guy is going to suffer and the dickheads who run this system, the incompetent, inept fools, will not. And that's why I'm so angry about this. Now, if the informant that the FBI spoke to on April the 10th is the same individual that the Washington Post interviewed on the 12th, and that's an if and potentially a big if, but it seems likely, then this explains why the individual interviewed by the Washington Post is essentially re- you know, reading rehearsed lines because he's already been through extensive interview process with the FBI. So he knows what he's meant to say. That doesn't mean he's lying, but it explains why he's so calm in the way he says things. It would also seem to be the case that this person is fairly intelligent too. You wouldn't expect that the accused gathers around him a bunch of idiots given that he's a reasonably intelligent man. So I think if they are the same, one and the same person, that explains that. But back to the accused. He's angered. The reason he does this is he's angered, so claims the informant, angered by the fact that the US government is lying, lying to the citizenry. And he, as a member of the National Guard, and having such high clearances, is able to see the truth behind the lies. This is the anger. And I feel for this guy. Now, what he's not doing is classic whistleblowing, in that he's trying to reach a a wide audience. He's really just doing this to a small group, and I suspect that he was a little seduced by the power that he had with access to this information. He's young, and doesn't have the OPSEC skills, and I can understand how this would have been an addictive thing. But it comes from a sense of injustice and anger. And for this, I have a great degree of compassion for the young man, especially given that he's going to have the shit kicked out of him for this. 
if the accusations are true. Remember, he has to have his day in court, and damn it, he's going to need a good lawyer. So next, I have a mea culpa to admit. I tell myself that whenever I see things like this, I should always assume incompetence before conspiracy. On this occasion, I failed in that regard. This is not to say that a conspiracy did not occur. The scenario that I published in the second article of the series is still entirely applicable. It would still explain all of the things that have occurred. For we do not know who did the cross-posting. And that is how the leaks get out there. This we still know nothing about. So, however, that doesn't matter in the eyes of the law. Even if only one person got to see classified information which the accused published, that's enough for him to suffer interminable bullshit. And I also opine in the article that it's a tragedy that he had nowhere to go within the military to express his frustration. And I point my finger at his commanding officer. Obviously didn't feel he could speak to this person. This is what it looks like to me. I might be wrong. And the commanding officer also fails to see the turmoil that the accused must have been going through as he's realising that the government is lying to him, which drives him to this action. So I'm pointing my fingers all over the place at the military, actually. For first of all, this is a shitful security setup. And second of all, they were unable to provide the assistance that this young man required. They didn't even notice it, I presume. And due to the commentary of Larry Johnson and and some others, I suppose it was Johnson and Tony Schaffer, Schaefer, that got me thinking about how this may well be the scenario that I propose in the second article, which is that he's a fall guy, they spot the opportunity, blah, 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 and therefore they can, they, they can do this. That's still possible, as I mentioned, but it's also less likely at this point. If it is true that he published the uh, top secret SEI data and then someone pulled it from there, and got happy about. See, the thing is that this community of people in these little servers, they're young and they don't understand what they're doing. And it's like, well, isn't this exciting? I'll look at that and I'll just go and publish it over there. And oh, look, here's another one. I'll just do that too. And um, the accused may well have been completely unaware that this was happening. And he essentially, he falls because of this other idiot. And that's what young men do. So it's, it's very sad. So we're in a tricky spot in that within the independent media community, I'm sure you will see a lot of claims that the accused is a fall guy and so forth. And that may well be true, but it's not going to help him, which is the bottom line of this. So the key question is the cross-posting. That's the key thing. But the FBI may well not be tasked to find out about that. They could, with the assistance of people like the NSA, So this could be done, but there's no necessary benefit to this. They just want someone to suffer and then sort of sweep it under the rug. This is the thing that really annoys me. What I'd love to see is a Senate inquiry where they drag the heads of the US military who are in charge of their uh, information security in front of the Senate and question them for fucking weeks. Then say, all right, we're going to take 1% of the US budget, uh, the military budget, And uh, we're going to appoint an independent inspector general and fund them to run a two-year 
investigation into the uh, security of the US um, intelligence and military community. And the cool thing about that is that the US has some of the best penetration testers on the planet. And I know this is part of my area of expertise. So if they wanted to do that and they were going to pay them, they would find out, they would bust this thing apart and you would get a report that would scare the crap out of you. But this can't be done, you see, politics. So this is why I'm angry about this. So conclusion in the end is elements of the independent media will go on about the fact that this guy's a fall guy, which may well be the case, but it doesn't help him. It may well be, as I believe, that this is just incompetence from the military and the intelligence community and this young man who really didn't understand about OPSEC and the fact that he was really playing with fire. So what I see is tragedy with the, you know, the conspiracy explanation still possible, but I think it's less likely now. And what I'm looking at it, when I look at this, I'm seeing tragedy. And that's why I chose the song in the culture section. I hope you enjoy listening to it. It's, it's a wonderful song from the 80s, which was a period of a lot of songs about me and la la la. But this one's really beautiful, wonderfully recorded. It involves a mandolin, a cello, <laughs> wonderful, very simple, but wonderful bass and drums, great vocals, excellent lyrics. So if you're going to actually read the article, play the song and then read the article, because I think that will give you a sense of the tragedy that's actually behind all of this. Anyway, see you next time. Mm-hmm.